the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, we're joined by our friend Dan Ehrman. We're going to talk COVID, and then we're going to play a game of Jerk or Justified. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, normally joined by Aubrey Sampson, but Aubrey is off this week. She is out of town. Before you all think like, oh, she might be running. Like she's only been on the show for like a month. This was pre-planned. She's enjoying the show. (laughs) But Aubrey will be gone for this week. We'll be back next week in her stead today. I am thrilled to be joined by a friend, a teammate here at WILL. Uh, that is Dan Ehrman. Dan, how are you, man? I'm well. Great to be with you today and uh, excited to jump into the conversation. I love listening to, do, to you and Aubrey. It's it's, appreciate it. it's been great. I appreciate it. So let's give uh, this first part. I just want to give people background of who you are. You're going to be with us all show today, which, I, you know, you're like, oh, I'll do two you're hours. welcome. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you know at six o'clock. <laughs> I'll let you know. So give us a little bit of background uh, about yourself. Uh, not only presently, what do you do here at Salem, but also uh, where'd you grow up? Kind of how'd you get here? Give us the uh, kind of Reader's Digest version of your life. Sure. My folks grew up in Ohio and I was born in Akron and promptly my uh, my dad finished up uh, grad school and asked my mom, where do you want to live? And she said, anywhere but West Texas. And so we moved to Midland <laughs> and lived in Midland for a couple of years. And then I grew up in the Chicago area from, you know, before I went to kindergarten through mm-hmm. high school. Uh, I, I usually claim, claim Wheaton, but, you know, we lived in West Chicago for uh, about eight or 10 years and uh, went to uh, Emmaus Bible College out in yeah. Dubuque, Iowa. Uh, I I loved playing basketball there at Emmaus. Uh, they didn't have cuts, so <laughs> um, my and, favorite kind of teams. <laughs> uh, we weren't good, but we had fun. There you go. Uh, and then uh, I lived in China for a couple of years uh, throughout high school, and then intermittent um, through my twenties. My dad owns a company that designs and builds church buildings, and so I worked with him over the years. Uh, doing everything from kind of architectural planning to project management and then work with him in real estate, helping, uh, you know, ministries navigate facilities. And then uh, went to grad school, uh, married my wife, Laura, all in the same week. We got (laughs) graduated from grad school and got married. Um, And then I have been here with AM 1160 for uh, over five years. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah, well, I know you remember this, but your whole, where you worked with your dad about church construction and church buildings and this and that. When we started Four Corners, we met with you guys. We had lunch with you, and uh, it was a great presentation. I believe at that time we had about $7.50 in the bank account, so there really wasn't anything we could do with you, but I, I, a small world, right? I don't know if you remember oh, that yeah, lunch. I Glen do. Ellen. It was fun, and you would, your kind of sending church was Glen Ellen Bible that's Church, right, and right. we had worked with uh, Glen, Glen Ellen maybe 10 or 15 years before that gotcha. when I was in middle school. so <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. I remember leaving with Dave, my the guy I was starting the church with, and I was like, 
yeah, that's really great, but we don't need money. <laughs> I right. don't know how we're supposed to do anything here. <laughs> that is the debacle of every small church planting <laughs> yes. and navigating that. It's, it's tough, and but you guys made it. So far, so good. We'll see if we get out of the pandemic. We're going to talk about that later, but we'll see. You're a decade in, Brian. We're I mean, 11 years. 11, yeah. 11 years. I mean, it, what most small businesses fail in uh, the first five years, like 80% True. of businesses fail in the first five. So. You guys have made it a level. We've did we've done something. So, uh, I, part of your story that always fascinates me: How'd you end up in China for a couple of years? Right. So, I ended up teaching English at a university. I was at Inner Mongolia, a university of technology no in way. a city called Hohat, and <laughs> uh, it's uh, in north central China. So it's near the Gobi Desert, and uh, it taught English there. So it, I went with a organization called English Language Institute China, and they're a Christian organization that uh, helps connect uh, you know, people who in the U.S. who are interested in, in working in China. So it was an easy way to kind of get my feet wet yeah. in, in working abroad and uh, loved it. Made some great friends uh, living there, learned a lot about the world. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. Uh, and now here at Salem, uh, you do a, you're about to restart a show that you do, uh, what is it? Saturday nights, I think. Um, and, and it's, it's fascinating. I was actually on this show that you do before I ever was on the common good, uh, before I'd ever done anything on radio. I'll never forget you do a show. So basically I'll let you explain it in here in a second, but you basically go around the Chicagoland area interviewing pastors, which is a fascinating listen. You came to my church and I'll never forget you came to my church and I literally lost my voice. And I was like, man, I can't talk. You're like, ah, we'll be fine. <laughs> Uh, and, and it was a lot of fun. Talk to us about that show, not only the like what you do with it, but I'd love to know what you've learned, because it's got to be fascinating. However many, I don't know, hundreds of pastors you've probably talked to in the Chicagoland area, you have to have a really interesting perspective of the church, Big C Church in the Chicagoland area. It's been just a blessing to be able to host the show. I've probably interviewed 180 pastors around Chicago on the show, and Early on, I just was kind of tapping into people that I kind of knew of or or that and had some good conversations. I remember early on, uh, probably the fifth interview I did was with a pastor, Charlie Dates, mm-hmm. at Progressive Baptist Church on the south side. And he, he, I asked him if he had anything he'd recommend to me. And he said, Dan, he's like, the best thing you can do is, uh, you know, give, give pastors uh, the, the microphone and kind of give them the stage. And so I've endeavored to do that mm. uh, going forward. And one of the things I do is over half of my conversations have been with pastors who aren't white guys. Mm-hmm. And that has been very intentional. Uh, been careful about that and, and trying to really bridge to look at how is the Spirit of God at work in the local church and telling that story from every neighborhood from across yeah. Chicago that we can make much of Jesus to glorify him breaking across denominational lines and starting to recognize that the church has facets that Mm. reflect the glory of God in different aspects, even theologically in our nuances that we, we tend to get rigid and, and yet there's an aspect of the facet of God's glory that we're magnifying in Mm. that. And to recognize that sometimes these theological mountains and like fences that we'll put up aren't necessarily God's fences. And so when you're, in the presence of God and his word is being preached and Jesus is being glorified yeah. and lifted up and people are pointed toward him. Uh, 
I can learn. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So you're going to be with us for the rest of the show. We're going to talk. We're going to dive into <laughs> a lot of stuff that could be controversial, could be stuff. You know, we're going to try not to get you fired today, but but we're going to have some fun. But as we close this out, let me ask you, as you interact with the church, with pastors, with everything you've seen, are you hopeful coming out of the pandemic or are you worried coming out of the pandemic for the church? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Ultimate cop out. Uh, in some ways, I'm worried. I think the yeah. institution of the church is being rocked. Mm. Uh, and I also believe that in every local church context, you have the spiritual church and you have the social church. Mm. The social church has been rocked yes. through the pandemic. The social church, that the, any idolatries that we've made in our churches got burned up in about two weeks a year ago. <laughs> yes. and And there's a sense of we're left with the spiritual church and the substance and so that prayer and looking toward God and building community, I think the pickup on this becomes we have a culture that is so hungry for meaning mm-hmm. and purpose, mm-hmm. and they have, they've rejected Jesus, but they don't realize who Jesus is that they've rejected. Mm. And so it's an opportunity for the church to rise up again, introduce people to Jesus as king. Yeah, absolutely. It's well put. I think I'm with you, man. I think I'm... As a pastor, I'm excited for the next season and worried about the next season and scared about it. And I think every pastor feels that way. Every church member feels that way. That's Dan Ehrman. He's joining us today. We thought we'd spend a little bit of time getting to know him. But now we're going to dive right in. Next segment here, we are going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about COVID and we're going to talk about masks. And we're going to ask, where, where do you feel like we should be right now as a culture? What's it mean for the church? Uh, we're going to do all of that right now as Dan joins me here on the Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Dan Ehrman, my name is Brian Fromm. Dan is sitting in for Aubrey Sampson, so uh, really glad to have Dan with us. And Dan, uh, you may not know this, we're in the midst of a pandemic. We're kind of coming out of it a little bit right now, hopefully. Uh, Are you vaccinated right now? I am. Should I put my mask on for this segment, though, is is a real question. Uh, So I also, what did you get? What vaccine are you? Uh, Pfizer. Me too. Hey, we're Pfizer buddies, man. (laughs) I got mine as well. In fact, tomorrow will be like the two-week window where I'm done. Like, I'm bionic. I'm I'm emitting all my 5G. The tail comes in. (laughs) I think I got it all. And, uh, And so we know that people are all over the map right now about the vaccine and about the pandemic. And we're going to talk about that a little bit about... How do you how do we as people, but also as the church kind of navigate our way out of this, hopefully out of this? Uh, But I want to start this with something I saw on Face the Nation yesterday. This is a doctor who I follow on Twitter. I find him pretty uh, middle of the road. His name is Scott Gottlieb. uh, And Scott Gottlieb had some really interesting things to say about the vaccine and masks and uh, just kind of where we're heading. Let's listen to Scott Gottlieb here. So is it fair to interpret what you're saying is that if I've been vaccinated twice, even if I'm in an elderly population, that essentially the risk for me, I shouldn't think about it as a new thing, but I should think about it basically the way it would be with with the regular old flu, that where we are now is comparable to something we know before in terms of the kinds of risks we would take when we operated in regular life. Look, I think that that's right. People get uncomfortable when you start comparing the uh, the rate of you know death and the risk of COVID to flu uh, because of some of the comparisons that have been made in the past. But I think for you know most consumers who need something to anchor against, I think that that's a fair assessment. That if you're fully 
vaccinated against COVID with one of the Western vaccines, your risk of having a bad outcome from COVID is about comparable to flu and maybe less because the vaccines for COVID are more effective than the vaccines for flu. So I think that that's a reasonable way for the average consumer to anchor their thinking about COVID right now. Again, the only residual concern I think a fully vaccinated person should have is are they are they themselves um, immunocompromised? I mean, if, and you know if you are, if you have a chronic disease that makes you more vulnerable, you'll know that, and the vaccines won't be as effective for you. And are you going to be around people who are immunocompromised? And there, you want to be more careful. That's where I would still exercise some caution. But outside of those circumstances, I think we can get back to doing normal things right now against the backdrop of a summer when prevalence is going to decline very quickly. I talked at, in the outset about ten cases per hundred thousand or five cases per hundred count. We're dropping about one point every two or three days. So by the end of the next two weeks, most of the country is going to be around five or maybe a little bit more. It's going to be quite low, the prevalence. And so fascinating. I think that's just good background. Like he and to hear a doctor who has other times in the last year said, hey, we got to shut this down. Like he's been kind of middle of the road, as I said, saying it's it's going to be time to get back to, quote unquote, he used that word normal. Uh, on top of that, I'll say Dr. Fauci, I saw an interview this morning where he talked about uh, we might be able to hear, in his opinion, soon be removing masks indoors. And, and so you start to hear these things going, OK, where are we going now? Dan, on the flip side, I've got a lot of people in my life and you and I were discussing an article off air that, that we both read where people just seem unable to even consider going back to normal. In fact, there was a, uh, an article that said, literally, it's for some of us, our brains have been rewired uh, and, and that we don't even know why we can't lose the mask outside or be around groups of people. But there's like this fear. Uh, and so let me ask you the $64,000 question. Like, how are you handling things right now? You're vaccinated. You're this, that. But also... How do you think this is going to play out over the summer months? What do you, what do you think the conversation is going to be? How do you f- picture this playing out in our culture, in our country? I'm not an expert. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but we uh, have a microphone. Uh, uh, exactly. So, you know, I want to lead with that. I'm not a, a health mm-hmm. expert, but I think we've all sort of become couch uh, experts in COVID to a certain extent, just trying to educate ourselves right. and, and get a feel for it. Uh, so, yeah, I think wisdom means that it's you have to move into the gray on a mm-hmm. lot of this and that it's not a black and white issue it's not so simple as that uh to me i i tend to play off of the context that i'm in and mm-hmm. so just being self-aware about that of you know if i'm going into a store i don't need to raise a ruckus i'll put a mask on mm-hmm. uh but you know there's times i've been walking down the street and i don't have a mask on and it's outside it's a nice day and i've gotten dirty looks yeah. and you know it, so you know it, it it's it's messy and so for us as christians there's a sense of we need to act with wisdom prudence mm-hmm. and grace with one another Oh, if only. (laughs) Yes, you're so right about that. What would you say to the people out there? Aubrey and I talked about this last week. Uh, I'm sure you know of people in your own life who genuinely are still really fearful. Like they just can't leave. Not not that they don't leave their house, but, uh, you know, they can't picture themselves going to a restaurant, even though they are vaccinated. They can't picture themselves you know, going to church or whatever else. Because we spend a lot of the time talking about the people like, ah, throw the masks away. This is all crazy. But. But the people who maybe they do feel like their brain has been rewired and they're like, I can't go back to normal. What pastorally, just kind of as a brother and sister in Christ, what do we say to that per- person to provide them comfort and maybe some encouragement? It 
it'll depend on the person and the context. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, that becomes uh, a thing where if if someone has legitimate health concerns For and sure. fears, and you know, as as Gottlieb pointed out in the quote of you know, if you have medical issues or you're with people who are have immunocompromised, then to take precaution, be mm-hmm. wise about it. Uh, but if if you're not in that context, then I think we may have a little more latitude mm-hmm. than we might have had a year ago when we were sort of in peak fear and didn't know all the, what the ramifications are. The, the science has developed on yeah. this. And yeah. uh, so I, I think there's a lot more opportunity to uh, start to go toward normal. I, I do think that normal won't feel normal for a while yeah yeah i think that's well put like i always feel like whenever we use the word normal we have to use air quotes right like just put your hands up and go normal because who knows what normal is but man you talk to pastors all the time this has been such a hard year we're gonna talk about this later a little bit too about pastors specifically but to try to navigate the different thoughts right now and i do feel like before it was trying to keep at bay the people who are like this is fake like let's just now it's a little bit trying to it's the, the pendulum is kind of swung right now to kind of talk to the people who are really scared. Like, Hey, no, no, we got to start walking this back a little bit. We got to go a little bit more normal. What, what are you hearing from pastors out there? Or what would you say to pastors as they try to navigate just the craziness of this? I don't know that pastors can say this, but since I'm not a pastor, <laughs> I, I'm going to call out the elephant in the room and just, I think politics has an awful lot to do with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you feel strident in one way or the other on this, chances are you also have a strident view of politics. And uh, we need to uh, check our hearts real quick and, and and look at, you know, I, I think politics is the idol of our cultural age. Mm-hmm. We have people who have rejected God as God and have this sort of remnant uh, Judeo-Christian ethic in the culture without any grounding in Jesus, in the person of God. And so there's a sense where you have Gen X and millennials who are looking their mortality in in the face without hope. Yeah, absolutely. Dan Ehrman coming strong today. It's true. We talk about that all the time here on The Common Good, like, uh, who's our God and what are we following? Where's our hope grounded? I think that is such a good word. Well, uh, you can find out, you can watch this clip, find our articles, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at common good talk. Well, next coming up next, uh, I did a little snooping on Dan Ehrman's Facebook page and I want to ask him about something he wrote. You know, when you offer to be on the show, we start to do our research. Going to go back to a Facebook post that Dan made because I think it touches on a topic that is really, really important. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Dan Ehrman, my name is Brian Fromm. Dan is filling in for my regular co-host, Aubrey Sampson. Aubrey is... Enjoying some time off this week. She will be back with us next week, but hopefully she just enjoys a little bit of a break because I don't know. She doesn't have much going on between parenting and writing books and pastoring and radio shows. So, you know, take a little bit of time. <laughs> that, that's just exhausting to talk about. I don't know how she how she is uh, shoehorned the common good into life, but we're thankful that she's here. We are thankful that she has shoehorned it in. So we are grateful. And this is a a planned before she ever got to be a part of the show. This was a planned vacation. So we hope that Aubrey is having a good break. 
uh, and having fun out there. Hey, before I ask you about what I wanted to ask you from your Facebook page, you took part in something that we talked about on the show on Friday. So I'd love just to hear a minute on on the Judson Prayer Breakfast today, because we had uh, Bishop Dr. Love and Dr. Karen Love on the show last week to talk about the prayer breakfast that was going on this morning. Uh, so you went to it. How was the prayer breakfast this morning? I loved it. It was great to see people, you know, to be in a room and, and try to, you know, do the COVID dance of masking <laughs> and eating breakfast and, and back and forth. But, you know, genuinely great to just fellowship and, and interact with people, spend some time in prayer for students. Judson had a couple of students die tragically right. in a in an automobile right. accident less than a month before graduation. They were both seniors in the architecture oh. program. And, you know, they had turned in their senior projects and they were done. And so they graduated, you know, posthumously. Mm. And uh, so that just wrecked campus in the last few weeks. So, of, it, so talking about how the community rallied around them, the local church rallying with them, uh, political folks from the left and the right and the local community uh, supporting them and, and just how they, they've seen God at work in, in the midst of that tragedy. Absolutely. I forgot about that. I, remember, I did hear about that, and that's so sad. And uh, yeah, be praying for that campus, but it's also good to know that people were starting to join together again for things like prayer, breakfast, socially distanced with a mask. But, you know, uh, we'll take what we can get. And, and it just highlights the importance of prayer again, right? Like as we go into this kind of unknown season. All right. April 20th on Dan Ehrman's Facebook page. Here we go. Oh, uh, and, it, and it seems like you're taking a shot at the Global Leadership Summit uh, through Willow. And that's more kind of the jumping off point. Like you and I both have... Um, we both have high respect for the Global Leadership Summit and the Global Leadership Network. This is not a, hey, let's bash Willow or the Global. But I think in this, you brought up, they posted something that either was on purpose or maybe it was just not exactly their messaging. But I think it's such an important message. And so uh, I, I did want to make that point. So global, let me paint the picture. Global Leadership Summit coming up in August. And there's a, a picture and it says, are you ready to believe in you? With a question mark. And you ask this, are you ready to believe in you? Is it an overreach to be disappointed a Christian organization would be leading people to be self-referential instead of pointing people to who they are as children of God? I preached this week on being a child of God. It's just kind of in my mind. So I would love to know whenever I take someone's uh, Facebook or Twitter post, my first question is always, why did you post this? Like, what drove you to read that and go, I want to make a point or I want to say something about this? I think we talked about doing jerk or justified, so <laughs> I, think, I, I figured I would just lean into it a little early here. Uh, yes. You know, a Global Leadership Summit is a phenomenal Absolutely. organization, mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, with Willow Creek and, and just the reach of hundreds of thousands of people uh, are introduced to Jesus through uh, great leadership teaching mm-hmm. and, and, and talks. So this was a marketing piece that mm-hmm. came out, and it, it just struck me that uh, – do you believe in you? Mm-hmm. And it, it, to me, that um, is it, it's something that our culture likes, yep. and and it, it's sort of this element of elevating your individual. And it, there's elements of it that aren't evil in right. of themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there is an aspect of because we're created in the image of God. There's something of God's image in every single person and that we have value because God has named you mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it, and for us, you know, who trust him, he's called us his own. So it, it, I, I just think that's a much stronger uh, proposition yeah. than 
what you believe about yourself. Yes, absolutely. That's well put. You you end here by saying, instead of pointing people to who they are as children of God, and that's where I want to roll to. Like I said, we're preaching in my church through the book of Galatians. Yesterday, I was in Galatians 3, 26 through 29, where it's literally your children of God. Like that's where it talks about your children of God. And, and Paul's talking to this Gentile church who, you know, the Judaizers have come in and kind of said, you're lesser than you you need to be something more. And Paul's like, no, that's not the point of the gospel. Like you're in Christ. You are a child of God. Uh, and so that's why this phrase has been on my mind. But for you, this idea of being a child of God, uh, why is that so foundational to kind of our understanding of ourselves and just our understanding of how God views us and values us? This comes all the way back to Jesus mm-hmm. uh, through and through. And there's this aspect that um, Jesus is God become flesh and dwelt among us. And in in his death and resurrection and ascension, uh, he invites us into, you know, his covering mm-hmm. of that. And uh, that is we trust in God that his sonship, his his position as, a, as the child of God, the only child of God, is given over to everyone who trusts in Jesus. Right. And so there's this invitation, this is the gospel, mm-hmm. that God says, you know, trust in me, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Mm-hmm. And so that is the hope of the Christian gospel, that everyone can turn to God and to Jesus and say, um, you know, I trust in you and we're, 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 you know, baptized you right. know, into Jesus. And, and so we are viewed then as the sons and daughters of God and this hope of heaven where God will give us a new name. That's right. In the, new eternity. That's right. In uh, Sinclair Ferguson, in his book, uh, Children of the Living God, basically says that that verse, that, that passage in Galatians 3 about being a child of God is not just the climax of Galatians. It's the climax of the gospel. He says this understanding uh, that that's how much you are loved and, and this idea of being adopted. And and I, I was talking to our church yesterday. I said, listen, I'm a dad. I've got three kids. Uh, you're a dad as well. And we would be awful dads if I just lined my kids up at the end of the day and said, hey, you know what? Kid number one, you, you earned my love today. Uh, but, oh, kid number two, you didn't do your chores or you didn't finish your homework on time. Uh, do better tomorrow and maybe I'll love you. Yet so many of us treat God that way. Like he's looking down at us going, oh, you didn't read your Bible today? Oh, 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 you didn't love your neighbor well enough today. Well, let's try again tomorrow. Maybe I will love you. And I'm like, well, that's not what we, that's not what it means to be a child of God, that we are valued, that we are accepted more than we could ever be. And 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 as we close this out, talk to us about the freedom that comes in that. Not just the freedom, but like the self-esteem, right? Like that's the irony. This gives us more yeah. self-esteem than any of this other stuff we're talking about. Talk about how this gives us freedom and self-esteem. Yeah. So if if we look to ourselves for self-esteem, uh, we're going to have good days and bad days. Yes. And there's an aspect, uh, if we become self-referential and kind of navel-gazing internally, that becomes something where you're, you have to turn to your own power that's and right. your own efforts to make it happen and some days you can bootstrap it and other days you can't and the moments when we need god are those days when we definitely know that we need god and those days when we think that we've got it all set up we we need his help all the more and and so it when we turn instead and you know lift up our eyes to Mm -hmm. the mountains where does my help come from 
help comes from the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so when we start to look at who God is, then we can start to know uh, who we are. That's right. Because he is, he is our maker. Uh, He is the author and creator of, of life. And, and so there becomes a beauty to who we are in that he's redeeming the world to himself. He's redeeming us, that he's at work within us and and we can know uh, that, that he's going to, conform us to his image absolutely that's well put again the gospel is is a lot it's good news for many reasons but one of them because it says this is how god sees you this is what he calls you you are his child in christ man that that gives such stability and so there's people out there i'm sure who need to hear that today because we all need to hear it and realize that that's how your heavenly father sees you. You're created in the image of God and you are valued so deeply that he, that he calls you his child in Christ. And uh, hopefully that gives you, like you said, the freedom and the stability and just that, that kind of that, that rock to build your life upon. Well, we'll get to preach to you a little bit here and all from your Facebook page. So uh, I think it is a really, really foundational topic uh, that hopefully uh, we gave you some good news today. Well, coming up next, one of our favorite shows that we like to play is called Jerk or Justified. I'm going to go back to some former ones, and I'm going to ask Dan to declare Jerk or Justified by how I acted in certain situations. Ah, this is a little scary, a little risky here. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined today by Dan Ehrman. He is sitting in for Aubrey Sampson as Aubrey takes some time away. We're grateful to have Dan with us. Uh, and we're going to have Dan play one of our favorite games here. Aubrey and I, we've kind of instituted the top five lists. I don't know if you've seen our top five list, by the way. Aubrey regularly puts out the most ridiculous top five list ever. I see you laughing. I'm right about this, right? I'm right about this. Oh, they're fantastic. I yeah. love it. I, I mean, her top five her top five candy the other day was anything grape flavored. I'm like, that's not a candy. And then she had popcorn on there. Popcorn's not candy. That doesn't work. And then, uh, yeah, I, I, you probably saw this one. We did our favorite shows from when we were little, and she chose Blossom. I'm like, I don't know anyone who even liked Blossom. <laughs> I didn't have a TV growing up. Oh, stop. Yeah, we didn't have a TV until I was like yeah. 16, 17, something like well, that. Well, then clearly you would have liked Aubrey's number four choice of Amish licorice. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we do top five lists. We've done some other stuff. But another one we introduced a couple weeks ago is something that I like to call jerk or justified, where I present something that I've done or somebody else has done, and it is my co-host job to declare you were justified in your action there or you're a jerk. All right, that's what we're going to do. And as our producer, Debbie, has been doing, she's made some great opens, so let's listen to the open for Jerk or Justified. It's time for another round of your favorite game. Am I a jerk or am I justified? All right, so that's what we're playing, and we're going to go back in time here a little bit. I'm going to give you some of the ones that Aubrey and I have already done. Because I want to see if you land on the same thing that she did. Okay, so you told me you've heard one or two of these, not some of the other ones. Uh, and so I am very, because I have a feeling you, you might be a tougher judge than Aubrey was. Okay, here we go. Number one, let me paint the picture here. Uh, you go to, I go to Panera all the time. 
I love. In fact, if you look, you're looking across from me right now. I have a drink I, from Panera right I'd like here. To point out I'm more Christian than you. I've got the Chick Fil A yes, cup. Yes, yes, you 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 enjoy Jesus chicken. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, and so when you go to Panera, when you go to Chip uh, Chipotle, any of these places where you order at a counter. Often happens at Starbucks. Oftentimes, so let's take Panera, right? I go there, like I said, all the time. You order, you slide your card in, and it takes it, it reads the chip. And now what we'll do is it will put up uh, options for tipping. So it will say no tip, uh, 10%, 20%, or maybe it'll give you a dollar amount or whatever else. Uh, and so uh, I, every time, while the person's looking at me, they're right there looking at me. Every time that I come to this, I put no tip because here's my thought process. You haven't done anything like you just took my order. Like I'm going to tip you and hopefully tip you well if you're my waiter and you bring me my food. But I got to go get my own drink. That guy down there, he's putting my food together and going to put it out there. So I always no tip the people at a counter. Dan Ehrman, am I a jerk or am I justified in that take? That's borderline. Oh, no, no, you can't take yeah. borderline. You've got to declare one. You've right. got to declare one, and then you have uh, to explain it. You have to justify yourself here. All right, I'll, I'll go with jerk. <laughs> uh, okay, I, go ahead. I think if, if you go to a restaurant where they accept tipping, then the expectation is that you're going to tip. And uh, so I, I, I view it as part of the cost of the meal. Uh, if you don't want to tip, there's restaurants where you, they don't offer that option. Uh, but this feels like a new phenomenon. It, it, it never it used to be that way at a Panera, at a Chipotle. It's and I like think that. with Panera, you're in this sort of gray in-between space where, uh, you know, if you're getting just a drink or something like that, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if uh, it, particularly if you're going to eat there at the restaurant, oftentimes someone is going to bring your food to your table with dishes and they bust your table afterward. Uh, that That's a little bit, you know, that... If you're going to eat there, I, I can see tipping definitely you should. Uh, mm. But, you know, if, if it's, uh, you know, to go and it's something simple, that's kind of a gray area that you throw a buck <laughs> on and it's not going to kill you. You won't remember that buck tomorrow. Okay. Aubrey told me I was justified on that one. I, I was afraid that was that, that was where we were heading here. I was yeah. afraid that's where we're going. I've, I've well, been looking forward to calling you a jerk all day. So. You <laughs> Something we've learned in jerk or justified is that a caveat to this is that I'm cheap. <laughs> so that's kind of what comes here. All right, number two. Here we go. This is the other one we did the other day. All right, we're through political season here. But where I live in Downers Grove, or like you know, within the last month, we had local elections, right? So... Uh, people running for county board or whatever. Uh, the, the elections that actually matter for your local community. That is true, and I always vote in them. I yep. always do. Uh, and uh, But it is amazing how few people vote in those. It is it's, amazing. It, folks, I would encourage you, if you, your, your, your local elections, your local school board, if you look at your property tax, yep. 70, 80% of your property tax goes to the local school and your local school board is your only voice in that. If you're, if you're not voting locally, get involved. It's not going to make the nightly news. It, it is the most impact you can have right. on your local community. It was, I know the town I live in is like 50,000 people, I believe. And obviously not all of them of voting age, but I believe it's like 50,000 people. And I believe the person who had got the highest vote total for like the town, the town board, I think got 3000 votes and that was the top one. And I think the next one was 2,500 and then 
down from there. So, okay. Your, your vote has extra weight. Extra if you, weight. If you show up. That's right. That's right. Okay. So it was political season. And so, especially in a local election, people will come to your door. Uh, but, but let's not just take the politician, but that's where my story goes here with the politician. But maybe it's Jehovah's Witness. Maybe it's AT&T. Maybe whatever. Somebody comes to your door. So this is what happened. It was an afternoon. All of us were home. Me, my wife, and my three kids were all home. Uh, guy running for the for the uh, town council comes. I can see him walking up, knocks on our door. Our dogs start barking. He looks towards our window, and he sees me in the window, and I didn't open the door. Because I was just like, it's Saturday. I don't want to talk to a politician. He's, it's fine if he saw me. That's okay. I just turned away, and uh, he stood there for a minute or two, and then he left on to the next house. So I ignored the guy at the door, and I felt okay about it. Dan Ehrman, I, I fear that I know what you're going to tell me here, but am I a jerk or am I justified in that scenario? I think you're justified, but I... Oh, not what I thought was coming. I I wouldn't have done it. (laughs) (laughs) What would you have done in that scenario? So I'm like the eternal extrovert, and so I look forward (laughs) to those moments, and like those interruptions are like the highlight of my day. And (laughs) a couple kids came by. Uh, We have uh, two radio stations here, um, and AM560 is like a conservative news talk station, and I work with them as well. And, And so saw some guys who were representing some people that I knew from the station, and I was just excited to chat with them, get to know some 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 folks, and encourage them in that. Yeah, I I'm actually pretty extroverted, although I do find myself being less extroverted as we go, uh, as I get older. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I just was like, hey, I'm I'm good. I don't need to talk. I know who you are. I'll vote for you, whatever. And uh, yeah, I just did. Are you like Jehovah's Witness? Comes? Are you engaging? Are you in? Are you are you going for that conversation? It kind of depends on the the tone and, and kind of where they're at. Typically not, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll answer the door and be polite. <laughs> I mean, on Halloween, I open the door, I give the kids. Okay. So I got one justified out of you. One jerk. Let's break the tie. We don't have time to discuss this one, but I told Aubrey that I love my food really hot, almost to a weird degree. So oftentimes my wife will make a wonderful meal. It will be appropriately warm. It will be appropriate temperature and I'll stick it in the microwave and get it hotter, uh, much to her chagrin. I'm a jerk in that situation, aren't I? Or am I justified because I like it hot? If it's to her chagrin, then yeah, you're a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> and if she were here, she would say, you are right. <laughs> All right, so you survived your first jerk or justified. Next time you come, I'm going to have you give something where I can judge you. Uh, it's not hard. <laughs> <laughs> because there, it is a fine line. You know, jerk, justified, it is a fine line. Well, we're done with the first hour. Coming up next hour, David French wrote a recent blog post at the French Press that asked this question, how American Christendom weakens American Christianity. Going to be a whole lot to talk about as we talk about cultural Christianity versus the church and American Christianity. Dan and I are going to wrestle with that topic next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Coming up this hour is American Christendom hurting American Christianity. And then we're going to talk about this. Should pastors be preaching about the vaccine? You're listening to The Common Good. everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined today by Dan Ehrman as Dan sits in for Aubrey Sampson. Aubrey is off for the week. Glad to have Dan with us. 
one of my favorite guests on the show, one of the people we've read the most uh, is David French. And so David French, all cards on the table. If you want to know where I kind of land politically, I think David French is one of the good people to read and look at. Like David French is a conservative. He's a Republican, uh, doesn't have a lot of uh, love for President Trump. And that makes him a lightning rod for people who are pretty pro-Trump or that kind of. End. But but uh, he kind of gets it from both sides. And so uh, people sometimes ask me in my church or on the show, where do you kind of land? I think you can probably read into the fact that I love people like David French or Scott Sauls or other people. You could probably read into a little bit of where I'm at. And so David French writes weekly uh, at uh, his blog that is the greatest blog name ever, The French Press. Uh, you know, just well played there. Well played. This week he asked this question. And Dan, when I read this, I was like, okay, we got to talk about this. This is kind of at the crux of what a lot of us are wrestling with and feeling with right now. Uh, the title of his article of his blog is How American Christendom Weakens American Christianity. He says, an age of scandals reveals how institutions of the faith can fundamentally oppose the faith. And he goes, the question is simply this, is American Christendom increasingly incompatible with American Christianity? Before we dive into the nuts and bolts of it, what does he even mean by that question? Because people could be listening right now going, Christendom is American Christian. What are you talking about? So help people even, as you process that question, how do you separate the two? I think I even referred to it in the first hour, sort of you have the social church and the spiritual church right. and differentiating between those uh, we we need to operate the church before God and before man. If your if your church is set up as a five hundred one c three, you have an institution, mm. and uh, God doesn't ordain five hundred one c threes, but He ordains His people. Mm, that's well put. He goes on later. Uh, you know, if you like reading about Kierkegaard, this is this is the article for you. Uh, but he separates kind of like you said, institutional. Um, organizational Christianity, uh, and and we're in the middle of it. We work at a Christian radio station. I went to Wheaton College, as did you. We went to uh, Christian institutions. I have a church that is a 501c3, right? And so uh, this is no pointing of fingers here. This is, <laughs> there aren't many more people steeped, steeped in evangelicalism. When I was in college, I don't think you know this. I told uh, this to Aubrey the other day. I spent two summers selling testaments to uh, to Christian bookstores across the country. These are testaments. They are testaments. And uh, the tagline was, it's a mint with a mission. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think uh, more than a lot of people, I understand Christian culture beyond maybe the Christian faith. And so uh, what? how would you answer his question? Let's just you know dive into just how you would wrestle with it. Maybe something from the article where he says, is American Christendom increasingly incompatible with American Christianity. How do you wrestle with that question? I think every generation wrestles with that question. Uh, to me, it becomes uh, our institutions are scaffolding that we build around the presence of God and his people. And the spirit of God is living and active mm -hmm. and uh, is on the move and he's calling us into mission and there are seasons when we have to put up new scaffolding and disassemble old scaffolding to keep up with the with how God is on the move. Yeah, and he goes on to say later on, French says, uh, in fact, all too many American Christian institutions are corporations first. They're perpetually existing legal entities who confront each and every scandal with a single prime directive. The ministry must endure. It is too important to fail. It cannot die. 
in this construct, the truth is a threat. So he's talking about abuse scandals here, right? If people knew what really happened, then they might not support the ministry or listen to its teaching. Its good work would cease, and so it seeks silence. Uh, and justice, he says, is also a threat. So we think about Ravi Zacharias. We think about you know Harvest here or whatever else it might be where it was like, hey, we got to kind of you know um, damage control and keep it going. And let's just be honest, and I don't know, you can wrestle with this too. Again, we talk about working, you know, you know, where we do or in churches or this and that. Anytime you you bring in money, it's a really hard thing to also stick to being truth tellers, but also living kind of the self-sacrificial way that Jesus did and living in the way of Jesus. So, yeah, what do you do with that? How do we wrestle with the, okay, we have institutions that it's okay to make money. They're supposed to make money, but then versus how Christ has called us to live and just how messy that can be sometimes. Yeah, it becomes a lot of this comes about with idolatry and mm. sort of, you know, Tim Keller talks about a good thing becoming the ultimate thing and that being an idol. And you have in, in you know, the sex money power kind of equation on that where those are good things. In, if they're not in the right place, uh, they they can become an idol. They can become a problem, and so uh, money is is part of that institution. And so we're called to be good stewards. Mm-hmm. And stewardship it involves money, but it also involves uh, just all of who we are and yeah. who God has equipped us to be, and utilizing that for a life that is overflowing. Uh, with a, a joy of being sons and daughters mm-hmm, of God, mm-hmm. uh, but also uh, being able to utilize those things wisely. And so money can be a real hiccup for some folks yeah. and uh, become something where, uh, uh, you know, it, anytime you even bring up money for some people, it, it has, it's, it's almost tainted. Like it, it's hard for some folks to view money outside of a sin uh, problem. Yeah. And I, th- I would say, you know, taking this away from, I think this is an institutional conversation, but this is also a personal conversation, right? Just because, all right, we're going to make some people angry here. Just because I put a fish on my car or I regularly listen to things that are quote unquote positive and encouraging, or I do the, read this book or listen to this, all of those are good. All of those are fine, but that's not the point. And I think we all need to individually look in the mirror and go, am I following the way of Jesus? Because that's what I claim. That's who I claim to follow versus kind of this cultural Christianity. And they're not sometimes they overlap. Sometimes they don't. But I think we have to remember what the point is. Uh, French ends his blog this way. Indeed, the collapse of the institutions of Christendom does not mean the collapse of Christianity. And their collapse may be necessary for people to see through doctrine, through celebrity, and through politics to catch at last a glimpse of the man who is the faith, the man who carried a cross and now commands us to do the same. Just great words from David French. I found them to be convicting, and so we'd encourage you to read this. You can read it up at our Facebook page, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Well, coming up next, I want to talk to you about a pastor, uh, just something I saw on Twitter that I think was getting a lot of like amens and go, but I feel like I disagreed with his major premise. We're going to discuss that, and we're going to see if Dan thinks I'm a jerk for disagreeing with this guy on Twitter. We're going to do that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Dan Ehrman, my name is Brian Fromm. Again, 
Dan is sitting in for Aubrey Sampson today. Aubrey is taking some time away, uh, some well-deserved time away, and we're excited for her. And uh, there was a tweet yesterday, every now and then on Christian Twitter, on Pastor Twitter, things start to start to spread. Uh, and you're like, okay, that's a lot. So there's a guy, uh, he literally on Twitter is called Pastor John. Okay. Pastor John, he said in his bio, he says, I only tweet when I should be doing other things. I think that's funny, but uh, he doesn't have a huge following. He's not one of these celebrity guys, but what he tweeted at current has 21,500 likes, 2,500 retweets, and 1,200 mentions where people kind of answer him uh, to the point that then he starts tweeting like, wow, I'm really surprised by what's happening here. Uh, and and so why this went crazy, and I'm going to read it for you in a second, uh, but why this went crazy is because I think this is top of mind for a lot of people, pastors especially, but just churchgoers. And so what I want to do, Dan, is read what he wrote, and then I just would like to tell you why I kind of struggled with it, because I, like I said, I, I kind of disagree with him a little bit, uh, but also just love to talk this through. So he said, I posted the following this morning on Facebook. I now have families leaving my church and calling for my termination. Being a pastor is fun. So we're like, okay, I'm in, I'm, I'm ready. So here's what he wrote. He said, I've stayed fairly quiet about this publicly, but it's time that I finally address things. I became eligible to book my vaccine appointment this morning, and we did so immediately and with no hesitancy. He's in Canada, by the way. He said, I don't know which of the approved vaccines we'll be getting, but in capitals, it does not matter. I'm not a doctor, so I won't argue the medicine, but recent surveys show that the least likely demographic in Canada to get vaccinated is middle-class evangelical Christians. These just happen to be my people. So let me be absolutely clear, he writes, as a pastor, and more importantly as a Christian, I have a moral and biblical imperative to get this vaccine as soon as it is offered to me. Christ commanded us to love our neighbors, and this is putting that into action. Whether or not I want the vaccines is irrelevant. It is about protecting others. He goes, this interpretation is uniform across Christendom. He's, he, question, he, uh, he references the Pope uh, and some others. Uh, he says, so if you're a Christian and on the fence about the vaccine, it's time to get off. You have an obligation to care for the less fortunate and the vulnerable. There is no wiggle room on this. Caring for others comes before any other opinions or notions you may have. Go get your shots, folks. And then he quotes Philippians chapter 2. Verses 5 through 7, where Jesus talking about having the very nature of Jesus and putting others above yourself. So tons of people giving him, way to go, buddy. Like, yes, I like that. And when I read that, I go, I don't think I agree with them. And now I ready. Remember what I told you, everybody out there. I'm not anti-vaccine for the COVID for COVID vaccines. I got both shots. I got Pfizer. Uh, I was excited to get them. If people ask me, I tell them that I get them. I'm telling you on a radio show that I got it. So this isn't a a pro-vaccine versus an anti-vaccine, but I'm not sure it's the role of the pastor to be like, you should, you need to go get it. And beyond that, I'm uncomfortable with his imperative language here. You must, even if you don't think it's safe, you must get it. This is what it means to love your neighbor. Are you with me here? I'm starting to get uncomfortable on this side of the aisle, the way people in in Christendom are talking, uh, Christendom after our last conversation, the way that people are talking about the vaccine as a, if you're a good Christian and want to love your neighbor, 
There's no thing, no step you can take but to get the vaccine. Am I right or wrong to feel uncomfortable with kind of the way he speaks of this? Yeah, it's a little over the top. Yeah, it's it, it's too too much. I mean, some of the reality is there are people who have allergies and mm-hmm. will like swell up and die if they take this vaccine. Mm-hmm. So if you've got one of the allergies that it is a handful of different allergies that can set off, and so you know those folks shouldn't get the vaccine because you need to preserve your own health and mm-hmm. in, in that uh and you know i i think you can start to parse beyond that um i think there's an argument to be made that uh, uh if if your politics are really at the root of your decision one way or another um you're probably m- not making a the most informed or wisest choice that you could. And, yes. you know, that it becomes strident. Yeah. So where do pastors, again, I'm a pastor, you're not, but you deal with lots of pastors. Where do you think there's a ton? One of the hard things of the past year has been uh, trying to navigate in an election season and in pandemic where we as pastors are supposed to stand up and go, uh, here's what you should do. So questions of masks, vaccines, uh, social unrest around issues of race, immigration, the election itself. Do I get up and tell people who I'm voting for and why I'm voting for this person or not voting for another person? Uh, do I put that on Facebook? Where are Where is the line? And increasingly, the line feels blurred. Uh, I've told people on the show before, I tend to be somebody who does not talk about these things from the from the pulpit or on my social media accounts. Do you think there's wisdom either way, or is it just kind of whatever you're up for? I'm looking at this Christianity Today article right now. There happened to come out today after we were already going to talk about this. White evangelical pastors are hesitant to preach vaccines. Advocates say more subtle approaches and one-on-one engagement may actually do more to inform the unvaccinated without further dividing the faithful. I think we're worried about division but maybe sometimes we're so worried about that that we don't say things we should say. And so you're a lay person, but you also deal with pastors. Where do you kind of land on that? What do you think is wisdom for pastors in general? In general, I think it's good to encourage people to get the vaccine. I think there's uh, some some wisdom in that. Uh, it, it becomes, you know, the clearest road way toward, um, you know, feeling safe to mm-hmm. regather as a church. I think that uh you know that corporate body in person is missing uh, in our culture and uh, if this becomes a mechanism for for getting back to that it's mm-hmm. really important uh there i i wouldn't call it you know i wouldn't go so far as to make it a black and white issue mm-hmm. it, it allow for some gray in, in the middle uh but but generally i'd be kind of 60 40 toward mm-hmm. encouraging people to do it uh, they're, they're t- you know, they're, they talk about white evangelicals kind of being le- most resistant mm-hmm. to the vaccine. Uh, you know, close behind that are is is the black church, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it, for the black community, they've got history of you know government using programs to, uh, you know, just abuse the, the right. black community, and so that was part of the conversation early on a few months ago within the black church leadership community. Yeah. And, and so there's just all these different pockets of culture and, and navigating that. And, you know, there, there's an element of uh, trying to just be a good neighbor mm-hmm. in that it is the pulpit, the right place for that. 
Maybe. Maybe. I'll give you that answer. <laughs> Maybe. Sometimes. But it, it, some of it, too, is sort of what's God's call to you as a pastor in, in so for some pastors, they have almost like a prophetic call that they feel God has put on them where they need to kind of speak into the culture. And that's part of what God's put on them right. as leaders. And for me to say, don't do that is an overreach for me. Um, and, and you wouldn't want to just put that person in a box and just say, oh, just preach the word when God can really work through and is living and active and moving in the culture of today as well. So Absolutely. Well it, put. It, it's a dance. It's a dance. It's a, It's been a hard year. It's been a hard year for all of us. But for pastors, it's been a hard year to go, what do I speak to? What don't I speak to? Where uh, It's it, po- politically, like you said, uh, pandemic-wise, all sorts of things. And so I appreciate this, man. You're coming on. I'm just throwing you all the hard ones. I'm throwing you. You're never coming back on again. I'm like, and, here's your Facebook page. Tell me about masks and vaccines <laughs> and politics. This is kind of fun. <laughs> I got to call you a jerk, though. You, so. did. <laughs> you did. And now I'm coming back. Well, coming up next, uh, we're going to spin this a little bit to be a little more inspirational over the rest of the show. I want to tell you something about a pastor, what a pastor wrote on Twitter that I found to be uh, really helpful specifically about how we look at things like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Dan Ehrman, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. Dan is sitting in for Aubrey. Dan's a good team player here at AM 1160. Uh, yeah, remind people, I, I'm always like, why weren't you with us for all two hours? But I, apparently people don't sit all for all two hours every day, all the time. So remind people what you do here, kind of what your role here is at AM 1160. Sure. So my title is Director of Strategic Partnerships, Ooh. which is a messy word for I do a little bit of everything, sort of <laughs> jack of all trades, master of none. And uh, part of the, the work is networking with pastors mm-hmm. and Christian um, and community leaders all across Metro Chicago, uh, as well as, uh, you know, just getting involved in marketing the station and positioning and strategy and Where are we going moving forward? That's right. Well, you guys do a good job and have some great things on the horizon. Uh, You also are re-kicking off a show uh, soon here at the station again that talks to pastors in the area. And so I would say if you go to a church and and you're like, hey, my pastor or this pastor I know would be really good to, to, they've got a story. They've got something to say. Where can people reach out to you? Yeah, so Leading the Church uh, features conversations with pastors and just kind of introduce themselves. Uh, you can go to 1160hope.com and check out the Leading the Church page. I believe there's contact information there if you want to email me a pastor that I should interview. Love That's to hear from you. Awesome. It's a great show because you get just get to hear the stories of all these pastors who are going. And uh, This was written by a pastor who just recently retired on Twitter. His name is Ray Ortland, and uh, Ray is writing specifically about social media. And uh, did you see The Social Dilemma? Did you see that on Netflix? If not, I don't know if I did. No. You would know if you had because it would terrify you. So uh, I would encourage you to watch it. It is uh, it's an hour and a half documentary that basically you walk out of there going, oh, I'm terrified by the role social media plays in our lives. And, and like it's so much deeper than, you know. And anyway, it's it's really good called The Social Dilemma. It's on Netflix. Uh, but also, we don't want to go back to a world where we go. 
fine, let's get rid of Twitter. Let's get rid of Instagram. Let's get rid of that's not the goal here either. Like these are advances. These are good things. Information is good, but they're also bad. Like we've got to try to figure out what's the best. And I think Ray Ortland is on to something here in speaking about social media in the Internet. Let me read his tweet. Ironically, it's on Twitter. Right. So let me read this. He says the Internet is too impersonal to resolve our controversies. It sure can make our tensions rise, but it doesn't calm us down and unify us. It succeeds at two levels only, information and inspiration. Let's accept how limited this is, and let's make the most of what this can do. Okay, so that's Ray Ortland talking about what it does in a bad way and what social media does in a good way. Uh, so, Dan, let's start here. Uh, he says... That, that social media can make our tensions rise, but it doesn't calm us down and unify us. That feels like a true statement, don't you think? Yeah, I do. It, it, you know, there's a sense where, um, yeah, it, social media can just be this quick hit, quick mm-hmm. take. Who can get in the quickest jab uh, and position things in the way that's the most strident way possible. Absolutely. And so he goes on to say, but what it does do well is information and inspiration. And so there we should kind of focus ourselves. And when I think about how I deal with Twitter, it's at its best when I'm getting information. Who's starting for the Mets tonight? Right? Like, or or what happened in this game? I'm thinking of sports or whatever else. But also inspiration. Wow, that Pat Ray Ortland or others putting something out there that makes me go, yeah, or even non-pastors like Rex Chapman, right? Like that's why he's become so big on Twitter because he's constantly right putting up videos that are inspirational. And so I do appreciate Ortland here going, hey, there are good things about social media, information and inspiration. I never, Dan, really thought about that. That's kind of the two streams that say Twitter does really well. And that if we can swim in those two streams, then we're getting the best of Twitter. Do you agree with them? Inspiration, information are kind of like the home runs of, say, Twitter. That and criticism. Yeah. <laughs> yes. oh, there's, there's the struggle, right? The inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> the inspiration. So how do you deal? Let, before we give people ways that maybe they should think through their social media use, how do you, as somebody who's on, as we said, you're on all the platforms, but primarily Twitter, Facebook, how do you kind of help uh, – how, how do you kind of form your, your social media consumption so that it's a positive in your life? And I'm saying probably there's times it's not a positive in your life. But, uh, but, but how do you go – how do you think through social media so that hopefully it's a healthy aspect of who you are? Imperfectly, for sure. sure. And, you know, coming at that, I, I think it's easy to kind of get sucked into the vortex on it and – uh, to me, it becomes about soul care. And mm. so for me personally, uh, for instance, I, I'll utilize a lot of the social media platforms, but I'll use my mobile browser to do it off of my phone rather than the app. Mm. I feel like the app, uh, while it's streamlined and good, it just is uh, too too much for mm. me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I need to, I've found that I've just taken the apps off of my phone and, and just use the mobile browser. You you don't have all the functions, but uh, I just feel like I, I'm able to like pull away from it easier. Mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like I have more control, and I, you know, I don't look up 45 minutes later. Um, it you know it becomes a four or five minute diversion, uh, which for me is a lot better rhythm yeah, yeah. for for making it a tool that I use rather than becoming 
you know, in social media, fundamentally, we are the product. That's right. That's the social dilemma. <laughs> right. Uh, there's a line in the social dilemma. I'm going to get the line exactly wrong, but the concept is right here where it says exactly to that. It says, if you don't know what they're selling, they're selling you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's basically uh, the take. Man, you brought up something really important there because uh, I know for me, there, I know I'm in a bad spot when I'm checking Twitter and don't even know it. Like all of a sudden I'm like, wait, not only when did I get on Twitter, but why am I on Twitter right now? Like what, what am I trying to get away from? And it, it, it hurts your productivity, but it also makes you be distant and it makes you mad at times. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of all of that. And so um, what is one, I know neither you nor I are social media, you know, um, uh, gurus here, but what would be, you gave us a good one about taking rid of getting rid of the apps, but what would be a red flag for somebody where they, you would say, Hey, that's when, you know, social media is a problem. And what would maybe be one step people can take to kind of get social media under control? Maybe it's the whole app thing. That's a really good one, but uh, take either or both of those. Yeah. I, I think one of the things is politics, right? Where mm. politics is important. The issues are really important. Um, the gamification of politics, if, yeah, we're, getting, if we're getting absorbed into that, uh, you know, you need to just step back a little bit and, and look at that. And, you know, one thing that guilted me was just this idea of uh, do I spend um, uh, more time praying for politicians mm. or cursing politicians? Yeah. And, you know, that, that becomes important as well as, you know, God's at work. Yeah. And the, the, the heart of the king is like streams of water in, in the hands of the Lord, and he'll direct them wherever he pleases. That's and, good. You know, that, that psalm to me just is a good reminder of the Lord fundamentally is in control of these things, and there's hope there and to, to, to breathe life and breath into that. And so, yeah, you go into social media and try to— you know, try to keep friendships. Remember the times that you've spent in person with mm-hmm. people. And when you have the political discussion, keep the problem on the table and, and don't attack the person. Uh, remember, remember the, you know, the barbecues that you've had with the family and the good times with that. I'll have pastors even where I'll get into a little bit of back and forth with, with pastors on social media. And for me, I have to remember like, here's this person, they're serving the Lord, they're doing this thing. Like, this is secondary. Absolutely. That's a good word, man. I think uh, for me, a, a red flag is when I'm checking Twitter before I even get out of bed. Like, when that happens, and I do that often. Like, oh, what did I miss overnight? And all of a sudden you're like, literally just woke up, and now my mind is racing and all this stuff. I think that's a good word. I think taking the apps off of your phone, I've got them on my phone, and I know that it's probably not helpful. So that's a good word. Well, thanks for that, man. Coming up next, Dan is and I are going to close out the show with this question. You know, many pastors have wanted to quit during the past year. So I am a pastor. Dan works with pastors, uh, knows a lot of pastors. The question is, how can we encourage our pastors? Or if you're a pastor out there, how do you get through what's going on right now and not quit? We're going to talk about that as we close out the show next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined today by Dan Ehrman. Uh, glad to have you. Hey man, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. It saved me from having to just talk and talk and talk and talk, but you're, you're great, man. This has been a lot of fun. 
I've enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. We will do it again one of these days. We'll have it again. And uh, as we said, if you if you're just tuning in and you didn't get to know Dan at all, Dan does a show here at the station where he goes and talks to pastors. I think you said you've talked so far, and you're about to restart the show post pandemic here. But pre pandemic, you talked like 180 different pastors. Uh, black, white, uh, big church, small church, every inner city out in the suburbs, all of it. And uh, there's one thing that I would say, I'm a pastor, there's one thing that I would say is kind of common these days, and that is pastors are struggling. Uh, in the pandemic, so much of our jobs has changed, right? Like you might be in a church that's still not meeting, or you're meeting, but it's different. Uh, people are feeling this freedom to express their opinions to you about, we shouldn't wear masks, we shouldn't be meeting, we shouldn't do this or that. And and then what I told Aubrey the other day is, and I think one of the things that makes it hard is the payoff of church, we don't like to think of it this way, has kind of been lost. What do I love about my church? Seeing everybody. Like you work all week for Sunday when everybody's there and you're hugging everybody and you're preaching to a full room and people aren't behind masks. And that has been uh, kind of a downer. And so with all of that said, here's an article at Religion News that I found fascinating. Bob Smetana, who's been on the show before, he's a great religion writer. He said this, for some pastors, the past year was a sign from God that it was time to quit. Already stretched thin, these clergy found the demands of the pandemic from producing video church to combating conspiracy theories took all the joy out of the job. And he goes in this article to talk about some very specific stories as one pastor from Wisconsin, but then he, he talks about Barna and, and them kind of moving out here that, that there's, there's some thought that 20, 25% of pastors are going to quit in the midst of coming out of this pandemic. And we did a, uh, oh man, who was it? We had a tweet the other day from Dan White Jr., where he said, I work with pastors. He said, in the last month, I've talked to 28 pastors who not only are leaving their churches, but they're leaving the vocation. They're leaving the pastorate. And so, uh, Dan, you talk to a lot of pastors. You kind of swim in the church pastor world. What do you think's going on? Why do you think that now, as we're coming out of the pandemic, we're seeing a lot of statistics even. It's not just anecdotes. We're seeing statistics that say a lot of pastors are going, this isn't worth it. I'm kind of done here. In some ways, it's always been this way. Mm. Uh, the pastoral role in the church is incredibly demanding. Uh, you know, you, if you go to seminary, you'll learn how to exegete uh, mm-hmm. scripture, uh, and, and you'll n- learn how to preach, and you might take a couple classes on counseling. And the expectations on a pastor are so much larger than that. And so I, I think historically we've always had huge turnover in, in pastorates and, and the, the politics of it are messy. Mm-hmm. It involves the whole family, the expectations on the pastor's wife and the kids. And all of that is, is really a pressure cooker. And we've, we've created this cultural expectation of what a pastor should be. That's right. That's messed up. And, and I think there's, I, I know I feel this, I might be sharing too much here, but I think another thing that's difficult about being a pastor right now is this idea of, okay, I'm worn out from this pandemic and how it's changed life. And it's changed everybody's life, but I mean, changed church life. And then you kind of look in the mirror and you go, do I have the, A, the ability, but B, the energy to bring this church out of a pandemic into a quote unquote new season where we might be smaller People are looking around going, where's person X or Y? And, and do I even have that skill set to be able to go, okay, there's, there's some people, there's some pastors I know right now who are super excited 
They're like, blank slate. I get to try stuff. This is like, this is my dream. There's other of us, and I feel more, it fit more into that, who are like, I liked how it was. Like, I, like, I, I missed it. Like, I know I'm not this visionary going, let's go take this hill. I'm like, you know, we got a good thing going. Let's, let's keep going. Oh, it's not like that anymore. Man, that really throws me. And I think there's this kind of, do I have the ability to come out of this and, and lead us where we need to go? And I think it's a real question. Uh, and, and I wanted to end here because, A, I want people to know that that's probably what's going on with your pastor right now. Like you, you out there probably aren't a pastor, you know, just, you know, if we think of percentage wise, but you probably go to a church. Uh, chances are for the vast majority of you, you should probably ask your pastor. They're probably struggling a little bit right now in this kind of way. Uh, and, and I think that you should be praying for your pastor, but also just asking. And and if that sounds self-serving, since I'm a pastor, so be it. Uh, but Dan, I do want to end the show encouraging both pastors, but also people who feel this way about their teaching job, their plumbing job, their banker job. There's people worn out everywhere. I'm a pastor, so I kind of resonate with these articles, and I think it is a little bit unique what we're feeling. But people across the spectrum are feeling this worn out, uh, discouraged. You know, I don't want to do this anymore. Where do I find hope? Could you let's end the show with a little bit of encouragement to the people right now who are just worn out and, and are like, I don't know that I that I still want to kind of fight this battle going forward. So for the pastor out there, I would encourage you to remember your first love Mm. on this and to remember uh, the call that you have in that and uh, to lean into that um, in the moments of doubt and frustration or guilt or anger. Uh, That's only natural, and that means Mm -hmm. that you're mentally engaged with the work you're doing, and it's hard. Uh, for folks who go to church, you know, I, I would encourage you to remember to give grace to your pastor that mm. uh, they're feeling the same stuff that you are. And, you, you know, I think they can point toward the Lord as the the source and the overflow of it. But these are overwhelming things. And, mm. you know, they're uh, it's a heavy weight that's, that's, right. that's on our country right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say. Uh, there's an opportunity here for us to show grace to each other. There's an opportunity for us to all embrace the fact that none of us knew or know how to come out of a pandemic. None of us know what we're doing church-wise, school, restaurant, whatever. Uh, none of us know. If you're out there, and we'll end this here, if you're out there and you're feeling just discouraged by all of life right now, just you see the culture around you or still the pandemic, you're still feeling fear. Everything feels so different. And I'm not just talking about church. I'm talking about life in general right now. You're feeling like you are struggling. Let me close with this. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That the pandemic didn't change Jesus. <laughs> he didn't go, oh, you know what? Now this pandemic hit. We better find a new means of salvation. We got to find a new savior. What's happening here? God is still on his throne. Jesus is still our savior. The Holy Spirit is still at work. The church is still the church, even though they may look different coming out of this. Uh, and we can hold on to the fact that's the verse, Dan, I've been kind of running back to Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And that really provides a, fo- a solid, firm foundation in the midst of all of this craziness. So if you're discouraged, I hope to leave you with that good word. Hey, man, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for doing this today. Brian, my pleasure. And uh, keep up the good work. Love hearing you you and Aubrey week in and week out. Thanks, friend. Thanks again. We're glad that you joined us. Join us again tomorrow. 
from 4 until 6. For Dan Ehrman, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.